From 2012 to 2015, I had the privilege of serving on staff as the family pastor at Clayton Christian Church in Clayton, Indiana. And now Clayton is a small town just right outside of Indianapolis. And last summer, a few of our own members here at OCC had the privilege to visit Clayton while we were on a mission trip to Kentucky. Now, one of the missions and ministry partners of Clayton Christian Church is a West African mission called Ghana Christian Mission. They're also known as GCM. Uh, GCM is all about bringing the hope of the gospel to everyone in Ghana, Africa. That's what they're about. Now, when I was on staff at Clayton, uh, our contact for GCM was a pastor and a teacher by the name of Richard and Tim. Uh, Richard is a passionate follower of Jesus. He's an effective preacher and teacher of the gospel. We were so blessed to have Richard visit the church one summer during VBS. A GCM was our mission for VBS that year. Now, Richard brought with him a simple but important message that summer. The message was this, and this was for adults and children of all ages. He said, we have a great big God who is always by our side. We have a great big God who is always by our side. Wherever you might be listening from this morning, I want us to repeat that together on the count of three. One, two, three. We have a great big God who is always by our side. Let's say it together one more time on the count of three. One, two, three. We have a great big God who is always by our side. So this amazing truth is the inspiration behind the title and focus of my message this morning. Uh, Today, we're in week three of our summer series, Summer in the Psalms. And the psalm that we're going to look at this morning is Psalm 19. Uh, This wonderful truth that we have a great big God who is always by our side is clearly seen in today's psalm. So I'd like to read through the entire psalm. There's 14 verses. I'll give some context behind what we're reading, and then we'll take a closer look at this psalm in three different sections, three different parts. So if you have a Bible with you this morning or your tablet, your phone, you can look at the YouVersion Bible app. We'll be in Psalm 19, verses 1 through 14. It says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak, and night after night they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. It bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete eager to run the race. The sun rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other end. Nothing can hide from its heat. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true, each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey even honey dripping from the comb. They're a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. And then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. 
May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And what a beautiful psalm this morning. King David is the author of this psalm. And we know at this point, David wrote 73 psalms in total. In this first book of psalms, he wrote 39 of the 41 psalms. This psalm is a reflective psalm. It's a song and a poem highlighting this wonderful truth that we have a great big God who is always by our side. C.S. Lewis had this to say about Psalm 19. He said, I take Psalm 19 to be the greatest poem in the Psalms and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. This is a pretty big statement from someone like C.S. Lewis. You know, I've heard this psalm presented in two different ways, read in in two different ways. You can read it uh, first, I I think, in two parts. You have God's revelation, uh, which is verses 1 through 11, and David's response, which is verses 12 through 14. You can also read this psalm in three parts. Uh, The first section is how God has chosen to reveal himself in creation. That's verses 1 through 6. This is also known as general revelation, and we'll talk about this later on in the message. The second part is how God has chosen to reveal himself in his word. This is verses 7 through 11. This is what's known as special revelation. And then how God has revealed himself in and through those who love and worship God. This is seen in verses 12 through 14. It's been said that this psalm gives the reader a threefold invitation. And this would be our invitation this morning. The invitation is to look up, look to the skies, uh, to look down, look to God's word. And to look in, look to yourself, recognizing God's grace and work in your own life. I'd like for us to look at this psalm in three parts this morning. The first part, verses 1 through 6, is a reminder of how God has chosen to reveal himself in creation. We call this general revelation. In this first part, we're also reminded that we have a great big God. So part one, Psalm 19 verses one through six says, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. It bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete eager to run the race. The sun rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other end. Nothing can hide from its heat. When was the last time that you went outside on a clear night and just looked up at the stars? Or when was the last time you went outside in the middle of the day and looked intently at the clouds? We have a fun game that we like to play in our house. Maybe you have played this with your kids over the years. And we like to go outside, look up at the clouds, and see if we can recognize uh, certain shapes or see clouds that look like certain animals. Now, our older two boys are really great at this game. They can actually recognize clouds that uh, look like certain shapes and animals. And when we look at those same clouds, we, we see what they're talking about. Our two younger boys uh, are not so great at this game. It's actually kind of comical. Um, They'll look up at a cloud and say, you know, it looks like a rhino or a hippo. And I look at the same cloud and I'm thinking to myself, their imagination is so much better than my own because I'm just not seeing it. I think it's easy to make it through the day, forgetting to take time to enjoy God's creation. And forgetting that we have a great big God 
who simply spoke all creation into existence. As David was writing this poem and this song, he was doing so in awe of God's power that's revealed in creation. Author Tim Keller once asked this question, why do mountains, oceans, the the sun, moon, and stars move us as deeply as great art? The answer that he gave is because they are art. Verse 1 says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. This is a truth that we see throughout the Psalms and throughout God's word, that all of creation proclaims the glory of God. We're surrounded by fantastic displays of, of God's craftsmanship. All of God's creation gives dramatic evidence for his existence, for his great power, his love, and his care. Verses two through four reminds us that day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. The Bible tells us that all of creation speaks, but it does so without audible words, communicating that there is a God and that what we see all around us is not an accident, but is the meaningful work of the artist's hands. Friends, there there are no language barriers for this kind of speech. It has no geographical barriers. It goes throughout the earth, day after day, night after night, reminding all people of God's power and glory. In fact, wherever you're at in the world, you can simply look up and be reminded that we have a great big God. Verses 4 through 6 says that God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. It bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete who's eager to run the race. The sun rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other end. Nothing can hide from its heat. So here we are in the 21st century, 21st century people with all of our background in science and the thousands of different uh, truth claims and worldviews for how the universe as we know it came to be. And this morning we're reading a psalm that clearly gives us the answer. David clarifies some important things for us this morning in Psalm 19. Verse 4 says, God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. The sun And everything else in the universe are positioned just as God has planned. Why is the sun where it is? Why why isn't it just a a few degrees to one side or another? Contemporary science would say, we don't really know. David says, it's been positioned by God to declare the glory of God. Verses 5 and 6 says, it bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete eager to run the race. The sun rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other end and nothing can hide from its heat. David uses two metaphors here, one of a, of a radiant bridegroom and the other of an athlete who's eager to run the race. In David's time, uh, friends of the bridegroom would go to the home of the bridegroom, bringing him out of the house, and then they would take him to the location where he would be introduced to his bride. Now, you have to think about when, when the friends of the bridegroom, you know, dragged him out of the house, he wouldn't come out of the house with a sad look on his face and with his shoulders shrugged. I mean, I guess if he wasn't excited about who he was marrying, he might be, but 
he would have been excited. There would have been a, a look of just joy, this in, uh, eager anticipation on his face for being able to see his bride. Yet at a wedding, all eyes are on the bride as she walks down the aisle, and rightfully so. But when I officiate a wedding, I like to look over at the groom because the look on his face says it all. He's the one set of eyes in the room that's truly locked on his bride. You know, for him, it's like time stands still as she walks down the aisle. Verse six says, the sun rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other end. Nothing can hide from its heat. We know that all life on earth is is dependent on the sun. The, The sun has to be there for life to exist. And the placement and power of the sun points us back to the power and glory of our God who made the sun. It really does remind us that God is actually the one who we're dependent on. The psalmist is reminding us that as the sun moves across the sky, it's a picture of the life-giving power of the works of God. What a reminder for us today, church, that we have a great big God. Referencing Psalm 19, the Apostle Paul wrote these words In Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, it says, But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. What truth are they suppressing? Well, it says they know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. And through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Paul is addressing a culture that has substituted the truth about God with a lie. I wonder if this sounds familiar to us this morning. I believe we live in a culture that does the exact same thing. And today Paul is reminding his readers that God has revealed himself plainly in creation to all people. And yet people have decided to reject even the basic knowledge that there is a creator God. In creation, we can know that God is powerful, that he's intelligent, that he's orderly and sovereign. This is general revelation. It's it's general for all people. All people are without excuse. And then David in the Psalms switches gears in verses 7 through 11, moving from uh, God's revelation in creation to God's revelation in his word. See, this first part, we're reminded that we have a great big God And now we're reminded that we have a great big God who is always by our side. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11, it says, The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They're a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. So creation tells us about God's reality and power, but it doesn't tell us about his attributes and about his saving grace. To learn about the attributes of God and the grace of God, we need something that more clearly reveals these things. And that something is the written word of God. The heavens declare the glory of God, but the word of God tells us what God is like and what he's done for us through Jesus. 
In the second part of Psalm 19, David gives us six different names for God's word. He gives us six different attributes of God's word and six different ministries or purposes of God's word in the lives of those who believe it and obey it. Verse 7, the the beginning of verse 7 says, The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. Another word for the word instruction here is the word law. So for David, this would have been the Hebrew word Torah, which means instruction, direction, or or teaching. Uh, The Torah is the first five books of the Old Testament. Now today, we understand the law as all of God's word. Unlike the textbooks that we write and read today, God's word is perfect. It's flawless and complete. The Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verses 17 and 18 said that all of Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach and to make us realize what is true and uh, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare his people to do every good work. Friends, God's word is, is alive and active. It, it imparts new life to all who read and apply it, and it sustains life for Christian living. That's why we said last week it's important to start early in the word, to start early in prayer. God's word is alive and active. The latter part of verse 7 says, The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The word decrees can also be translated as testimony. In the Old Testament, this is the same word that's used for the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were the basis for God's law. And today, we, we have all of God's word, which acts as God's witness for, for who he is, um, for what he's said and, and what he's done, for who we're called to be in Christ. And because there is one author of the Bible, we believe that God is the author of all of his word, it's completely trustworthy, it's completely reliable. In God's word, we're given God's wisdom. We, we learn to humbly receive God's truths and to live life by God's design. The first part of verse 8 says, The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. So the commandments of the Lord are God's detailed instructions. The Bible gives us these detailed instructions that address the practical matters of everyday life. These detailed instructions lead us down the right path in life. As our lives are shaped by God's word, the Bible says we experience joy in our hearts. And I know you know this to be true. That when we're rooted in God's word, we live by God's word, we experience this kind of joy that the world can't give and the world can't take away. The latter part of verse 8 says, The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. So the word commands means that which is appointed. Because God is our heavenly father who who loves us, he gives us instructions for what to do, instructions for how to live our lives. He also warns us what not to do. It's important to remember that as Christians, we are strangers on this earth. The world is not our home. The word of God is our roadmap. It's what guides us and directs us. The first part of verse 9 says, reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. This is an unusual name for the scriptures, but it reminds us that we can't learn the word of God or live out the word of God in our own lives unless we show reverence and respect for the God of the word. When we have reverence for God, this always starts in the heart, and then it's demonstrated in the way that, that we live 
for Christ. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. And the latter part of verse nine says, the laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. And this, this is best translated as um, ordinance of the Lord or, or verdicts of the Lord. It refers to the decisions of a righteous judge. And we know throughout God's word, we see God passing judgment on what people and nations do. His rewards, rebukes, and, and punishments, they, they help us to understand what honors, glorifies, and pleases him. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. Psalm 19 verses 10 and 11 says, they are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They're sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. And they're a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. See, David understood that how we treat and respond to God's word is a direct reflection of how we view God. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before, that that how we treat and respond to God's word how we apply God's word to our lives is a direct reflection of how we view God. For the Christian, the word of God should be more desirable than wealth, more satisfying than physical food. Does reading and obeying God's word mean more to you than material wealth? Does God's word fill you up and satisfy you more than your favorite meal? You know, to have an appetite for God's word is one mark of a healthy Christian, someone who's passionate and sincere about living for Christ. So in these first two parts of this psalm, we were reminded we have a great big God who is always by our side. The third and final section of Psalm 19 is all about how God has revealed himself in and through the life of the believer. Psalm 19 verses 12 through 14 says, how can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. And then I'll be free from guilt and innocent of great sin. And then David ends the psalm with this verse, a famous verse, a well-known verse. We should memorize this verse. It says, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Friends, unless we have a sincere faith in Jesus, uh, what we see in creation and what we read about in God's word uh, won't do us much good. David concludes this song and this poem by declaring that he wants to live his life for God. He wants to live a lifestyle of worship that's pleasing to God. As we grow in our own relationship with God, that should be our declaration and our desire as well. So God's creation, general revelation, reveals his invisible qualities. We, we learn that he's powerful, intelligent, orderly, and sovereign. We're reminded that we have a great big God. We have God's word, his special revelation. It reveals the attributes of God and our need for his grace and forgiveness in our own lives. We're reminded that God is always by our side as we live by the counsel of his word and by the, the leading of his Holy Spirit. God is always by our side. And as we live for Jesus, God works in us and through us to share the good news of Jesus with others. I want to encourage you this week to share this important truth with others, that we have a great big God who is always by our side. I want to encourage you to reread Psalm 19. Meditate on the word of God. Pray the word of God. Reflect on the word of God. Allow it to move from your head to your heart and to be lived out in everyday life.